going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk, presented by FamilyRoadSports.com. want to wish everyone a happy new year. This is our first episode of 2018. I'm hanging out, talking my favorite hometown Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris, as always. Chris, what's going on? Happy new year to you. Happy new year, Bob. My, my Christmas was ruined. <laughs> Why is that? Went to see Star Wars on Christmas Eve, and I was I was disappointed. I I was in, I was in the disappointed camp, so ruined my Christmas, ruined everything. I sat around the whole week crying. Uh, I, it's not beyond the realm of possibility where that truly did ruin your Christmas. So I'm not sure how to take that. I'm assuming you're joking, <laughs> but uh, I'm not entirely sure. No, I'm definitely. Definitely joking. Christmas and New Year's, and 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 it was wonderful to see family again. Um, unfortunately, you couldn't make it up to, to Cleveland this time around, but we saw you Thanksgiving. Knew you had to to split up the family time there because uh, your wife being from Georgia and all that fun stuff. But uh, definitely did not put a damper on my Christmas. But Bob, Bob, I was disappointed. I, I just gotta say that I was disappointed. Not gonna spoil it for any of you listeners out there, but I was disappointed. With, with Star Wars? Oh, with yeah. Star Wars, yes. Not the family, the Star <laughs> okay. Wars. Yes. Well, um, <laughs> this is a sports podcast, so uh, we do like to debate. I would love to debate you on The Last Jedi because I stand probably on the exact opposite end, but um, that is not the subject matter of this podcast. Uh, Chris, your disappointment didn't end there. Uh, the Browns going 0-16, uh, capping the perfect season of infamy uh and and futility uh losing to the Steelers uh in in week 17 uh Antonio Brown Le'Veon Bell and Landry and Ben Roethlisberger less Steelers uh losing to that make up two years in a row to to end the season Chris the Browns are now 0-16 1-31 in in the Hugh Jackson era that's two seasons worth uh, uh, of games right there uh just so, recap the season uh what what are your, your final thoughts on it i think you just recapped it with those numbers right there <laughs> oh and 16 1 and 31 i mean what more do you need to say it is horrendous in brownstown right now and bob maybe the browns should have cheered for pittsburgh to play their starters because in week one they played pittsburgh at full strength a lot better than they did in week 17 uh seemed to struggle all over the field against Pittsburgh's backups. Landry Jones, Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, Bob, I thought it was Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown there. Landry Jones, only four incompletions, one interception. They couldn't even get to him with backup guys playing. They did have three sacks, though. Um, Bob, here's a stat for you. Isaiah Crowell, 15 carries, 21 yards. Yes, we've been beating that dead horse over and over again. Give Crowell the ball more. Duke Johnson, 6 carries, 20 yards. Forget Steven Ridley. Darius Hayward Bay had more rushing yards than the two Browns running backs. Fitzgerald Toussaint had more rushing yards than the two Browns running backs. Never mind the fact that Steven Ridley, a guy who was signed off the street a couple weeks ago by Pittsburgh, had 17 carries for 80 yards and a touchdown. Fitzgerald Toussaint and Pittsburgh's 
third or fourth wide receiver outgained the Browns' starting running backs. Now, Deshaun Kaiser did have 61 yards on six carries, and, and, and had an okay game. Honestly, I, I think Kaiser was, was was solid. He had 314 yards, 16 to 30, and the completion set percentage was low, Bob. But there were a ton of just terrible drops. None bigger than yeah. Corey Coleman's awful drop that just epitomized the entire season. It was the drop that clinched the season. You can't lay it all on the drop because, Bob, as you know, just because they get to the red zone doesn't mean they're going to score. They turned the ball over a million times in the red zone, it seemed. Uh, but but just contrast it with Juju Smith-Schuster, nine catches, 143 yards, and a touchdown. Bob, he, he's like their second-best, third-best wide receiver. Y- you got to play against him, man. And he had that 94, 92-yard kickoff return that broke. Just as the Browns tie it, he deflates them. And, 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 and it got me thinking, in week one, the Steelers scored on the first punt uh, with, a, with a bad snap. You know, that's 14 points off special teams touchdown. They lost the Steelers by a combined seven points and and so I could go on and on and on but but it was just another bad day for the Browns and, and it's and it's double disheartening that not only did they lose to the backups but Bob they, they just got manhandled by the backups it just I know it was only a four-point game but but Pittsburgh's backup team just just pushed them around and, and got really whatever they wanted no for, for, for sure um I will say, I mean, Juju Smith-Schuster is is legit. <laughs> I mean, he's he's their second wide receiver, um, and with AB out, uh, arguably their their number one target this game or or, or aside. And on the defensive side of the Steelers, uh, you know, they 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 were playing some starters, a majority of starters. So, yeah, the the offensive stars weren't there, uh, and and they were resting some guys, but. Um, you know, this is a playoff team. You have to be deep uh, to to be the second best team in the AFC, as the Steelers are. So it's not like the the Browns were playing strictly uh, against you know the second string that you see in preseason. But I, I get what you're saying for sure that the Browns could do better than, than what they did uh, in, in Week 17, and we saw them do better, as you said, uh, in their, their earlier matchup against a, a fully staffed first team uh Steelers so yeah d- definitely um disappointing for that because that's just a lack of effort right there to to get beat by lesser players uh when, when the stars are sitting you need to take advantage of that and get your one win of the season uh yeah I mean is this season is there not a better way to end the season than Corey Coleman I mean Chris can you call that a drop when the ball hits you in the face you're wide open <laughs> both hands outstretched uh, uh, a very well-thrown ball by Deshaun Kaiser evading pressure uh, on fourth and two uh, moves to his left and, and and just lost it up there it's it wasn't a hard thrown ball it wasn't a wobbly ball it was just is right dead smack in his face and it went through both his hands and, and hit him right in the helmet I mean th- that's the perfect way to, to end this own 16 season season that I hope to never reflect back on a season that I only want to think of as this was the turning point for, for the Browns. They use this, this draft position, this cap space and, and these young guys uh, as a launching point to, to seasons of success. I mean, there's nothing good that happened in these 17 weeks. Even the bye week was a disaster for the Browns. I mean, there, there was nothing good. 
uh, they, they went 4-0 in preseason. I guess that was their highlight because once the regular season started, it was either blowout after blowout, disaster after disaster, or just terrible play calling after terrible play calling. Um, the only good takeaways is that Deshaun Kaiser aside, who is very up and down, I'd say the first, the three first round picks played exceptionally well and, and developed throughout the season. Miles Garrett, though he was limited, uh, got to the quarterback and, and was a legitimate pass rush. And I'm excited for him. Jabril Peppers had his first interception in week 17 and David Njoku came along. You know, we, we talked about in the summer, this dude couldn't even catch a ball in training camp and he became uh, their best red zone target th- throughout the season. So that gives me hope. The second year players stepped up. Corey Coleman drops aside uh, when he was on the field. We saw more flashes of him being a reliable target. Joe Schobert, the middle linebacker, uh, seems to have stepped up and filled that Jamie Collins hole uh, in the linebacking core. Uh, the front seven provided a, a good run defense, uh, but their, their own 16. It was a, a disaster of a season, one that I hope to forget very soon. Yeah, let's not forget about Rashard Higgins, Bob. Uh, three catches, 68 yards, his first two career touchdowns, and, and he looked he looked very good against the Steelers. Josh Gordon, another strong game, 115 yards, including a fantastic touchdown catch where he was clearly interfered with, still caught the ball. And Duke Johnson capped his all-around great se- well strong season. I don't think anyone on the Browns had a great season. Strong season with Cleveland, uh, another six catches, 75 yards, six carries, 20 yards. So showing off his versatility there. So you're right, Bob. There, there are some bright spots, but at the end of the day, you are what your record says you are, and the Browns are winless, riding a 17-game losing streak, and will close 2017 without a single victory. Yeah. Well, uh, real yeah. victory, real victory. Preseason, right, doesn't count. exactly. Um, already thinking about next year, obviously. Uh, Twenty breaking that streak in 2018. Uh, Chris, coaching carousel. Uh, Decisions are, are made quickly uh, as week 17 ends. Hugh Jackson has is all but announced back. He's backed by Jimmy Haslam, and all expectations are that he will be here for his third year, and he's planning on interviewing offensive coordinators. Um, do you agree with that decision, that, that Hugh Jackson looks to be set to come back for his third year despite that 1-31 record? No, I don't. I don't think Hugh Jackson should be back. It's not just about the record. Well, well, it's mainly about the record, I guess. Um, two things. One, you set the bar at one in fifteen. You couldn't even clear it. How do you regress from one in fifteen? That 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 is player development was lacking, play calling lacking, game management lacking, and the handling of Deshaun Kaiser was uh, not ideal. To be nice, so I I, I just. I just don't see where the justification for bringing this guy back is other than continuity. But why would you want that kind of continuity? I, I, I just think that um, I, I think they need a clean start. And, and, and this is a guy in, I've been saying that the Browns need to just stick with a plan. Well, they've already fired one half of the equation in Sashi Brown. So, so why does Hugh Jackson get a pass for all this? Uh, I think that he is actually more to blame than Sashi Brown. Not that Sashi Brown uh, didn't deserve some of it, but if you're going to fire Brown, I, I think you just clean, clean, clean house and 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 you know let them start anew. 
Yeah, I, I, I see your point there. I don't think Sashi Brown was fired because of team performance. I, I think as evidenced by Hugh Jackson coming back and, and the moves that, that Sashi Brown made are, were just bold moves to punt two entire seasons. I think they were both operating on the 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 promise from the Haslam's that they were coming back from the third season. I think Brown was fired for other reasons, mostly probably related to that McCarran debacle and, and some, some behind the scenes things. And maybe just the idea that John Dorsey might get away. Um, I, I think that's a little bit different than being fired for team performance. But Chris, I, I agree with you. I, I, I like Hugh Jackson. I, I want to like him. I think he is a good leader, a guy that, uh, week in and week out has been very honest with, with the media and with his team players. I think players re- really respect that. Um, but as a coach, I, I just think he has not, he, he is a bad coach as of this point. Uh, it baffles me that you can go one and 15 and still think that you don't need an offensive coordinator. It, it took you two seasons of this ineptitude to realize that, hey, maybe I should just focus on leading and have a guy that can call the plays and 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 take that burden off of me. I'm glad that he's finally getting an OC in his third year after winning only one game in his two seasons. Um, I've always advocated, probably Pat Shermer aside, I've advocated for, for the Browns head coaches to get one more year because just because of a consistency standpoint, I think – uh, they, they fired the, they've pulled the trigger way too many times and given these head coaches the ax. And then we bring in a new system, a new scheme that results in young guys getting cut and, and just a lack of consistent player development. So I'm really glad that finally we have a Browns head coach getting a third year and, and giving that third, you know, that extra bit of consistency. The, these, these rookies that, that came in under Hughes first year season are, are, are about to hit their, uh, you know, evolve into legitimate contributors and stars in their third year. That's usually what happens with, with third year players that they, they become fully developed. So that will be really exciting to see. Um, unfortunately, the guy that we gave the third year to is the worst head coach in, in Brown's history in a two season span. So uh, it, it's a little bit of a head scratching move, but I think it again, honors a commitment that the Haslam's made to Hugh Jackson when they hired him and saying that you're, you're on a three-year plan. Bob, only two Browns coaches, Butch Davis and Romeo Cornell, have gotten a third year. They both got four. And uh, Romeo Cornell was the last Browns coach to make it to the third year. So Hugh Jackson, if – I mean, it's not over yet. They could still fire him. But it's looking like it, he, he survived Black Monday. Um, I think at this point, if, if – if 0-16 wasn't enough to fire the guy, he's probably coming back for a third year. So so if he, he gets through this week, he's probably going to come back and uh, he would be the first Browns coach to make it to a third season since Romeo Cronell did in 2008, 10 years ago, Bob. 2008 was his fourth season, by the way. That was 10 years ago. That That's insane. That 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 is not how you build a winning franchise. Exactly. Um and you know, I, I just talked down uh, on Hugh Jackson a lot, but it's not like any of these other coaches in that ten-year span. I mean, maybe Mike Pettin aside, who who got to six wins, I think that was the most in that span. Uh, 
seven, seven. wins uh, the most in that span. The rest of them went like three and 13, four, four and 12. So yes, Hugh Jackson is worse than all that, but uh, I would have advocated for it, for, for any of those guys to, to come back for an additional year just to build on, on, on their poor records and, and get some consistency. So yeah, it's refreshing that, that finally we have a coach in Cleveland back for a third year. Real quick, Bob, Eric Mangini and Mike Pettin are tied for the highest win percentage since 2008, a whopping 31%, yeah. 10 and 22. Yeah. So they are the best since Cornell. I mean, he, he was a 37 win percentage, but at least Cornell won 10 games, went 10 and 6 in 2007. Right. Kind of had to clean, you know. At what, what Browns close coach hasn't come in and had to clean up a mess? So you almost have to lob off the first year, yeah. but even if you do that, it doesn't help them very much. Yeah. Mangini and Patton were probably my two favorite head coaches in, in the past 10 years in, in that span. So I agree. They, they should not have hired Mike Holmgren. They should have let Eric Mangini carry that out because that was the most disciplined this team has ever been under Eric Mangini. Yeah, I, I think they were, they were promising, d- definitely. Um, it's yeah. funny that you mentioned uh, Romeo Cornell finishing his career in, in 2008. Uh, that was the last... And first time a NFL team went 0 and 16, the 2008 Detroit Lions, uh, setting that mark in, in 2008, and the Browns now the second team to to, to go uh, a perfect 0 and 16 in a season. Uh, Chris, this, this leads to uh, a good old fashioned debate: who would win that game? A battle of the two supreme losers in NFL history, the 08 Lions and the 2017 Browns. Well, Bob, when I when I first uh, created this topic, I'm like, oh, this is so easy. It's going to be the Lions because I thought they at least had two of the big three assembled in Calvin Johnson and Ndamukong Sue. I knew Stafford came after this, but they didn't have Ndamukong Sue. And, and I'm looking at this roster, and <laughs> it's so bad. I mean, I'm trying to find anything other than uh, Calvin Johnson. I mean, Dante Culpepper is a big name, but he was not the same Dante Culpepper then. Um, Jason Hansen, I guess, is their next best player, a very strong kicker. But, Bob, let me just read you something real quick. First off, I think this Lions team would actually beat the Browns because Calvin Johnson is a beast. In 2008, he was fifth in the league in receiving yards at 1331, seventh in yards per game at 83.2. And he led the NFL in receiving touchdowns with 12, despite the fact that the entire Lions team only passed for 18 touchdowns. That is insane. Calvin Johnson put up those kind of numbers on that bad of a team. We just saw Juju Smith-Schuster, who is nothing compared to Calvin Johnson in 2008. All due respect to the Juju not Calvin Johnson quite yet, torched the Browns with Landry Jones throwing to him. Now, with all due respect to Landry Jones, Dante Culpepper at the end of his career is better than Landry Jones. I think that combination right there is enough to beat this Browns team. I'm not saying it's elite. All you got to do is beat the other 0-16 team, and I don't think the Browns would have any answer for Calvin Johnson. And and, and I just I, I, I think this Lions team would win uh, relatively decisively. Yeah, I never thought I would be debating Landry Jones and, and Dante Culpepper uh, <laughs> on a podcast, but Chris, I have to disagree with you. I mean, Dante Culpepper in 2008 was 
an absolute shell of himself. Uh, five games started, four touchdowns, of six intercepts, interceptions, a 52% completion percentage. Um, I, I think, you know, in at that point, Dante Culbepper versus 2017 Landry Jones, I would take Landry Jones. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Uh, 2008 Detroit Lions uh, had a typical Cleveland Brown season. Uh, it, not the one that the Browns had in 2017, but they started four different quarterbacks, I believe. Uh, and, and all of them were, were, yes. were just awful. Uh, I agree with you, Chris. I'm looking through this roster. I see Calvin Johnson. I see a young Cliff Averill who, who went on to see success with the Seattle Seahawks and is still playing with them. I remember Jeff Bacchus, their left tackle. He was solid. I know Kevin Smith, the, the rookie running back, uh, he ended up more of a disappointment. I think Roy Williams was on this roster as well as their number two wide receiver. So, yeah, they, they had two good wideouts, uh, and Calvin Johnson, obviously a future Hall of Famer. Uh, but, Chris, I, I look at this Browns roster, and, yes, 0-16 for sure, but they are so young and have have guys with so much talent. I think that if they met this 0-16 Detroit Lions, they would meet a broken-down team that, other than Calvin Johnson, really had nothing. And it was kind of a, a mixed bag of, of aging vets and younger disappointments. I think the Browns would just overwhelm them with their talent. Um, I know... Calvin Johnson by far would be the best player on either side uh, uh, of either team. But I, I do think the Browns would just from their youth and, and the overwhelming talent of some of those guys, Miles Garrett, Julius Peppers, and Joku, Gordon, and Coleman, I, I do think that they would beat uh, what is just like a, a, a very depressing Detroit Lions roster. Chris, I, I find it interesting. Like, uh, I've read a lot about the the Browns going 0 16, and obviously every article will at least mention these 2008 Detroit Lions because they're now uh, forever tied together in, in history. And if you go to the the message boards or the comments uh, of these articles, unanimous unanimously, everyone agrees that the 2008 Detroit Lions w- would would shred the 2017 Browns. And I, I don't know why that, why people think that is, I think history has been kind to the lines now that there is a new team at, at the bottom of the pile on the Browns. And we're kind of softening our, our, our look at, at a team that, that was truly depressing. Well, read closer at those comments, Bob. I think a lot of people think that Matt Stafford and Ndamukong Sue were on this roster. Cause, cause I thought at least two of them, I knew Stafford wasn't, but I thought at least two of them were. But, but I was wrong that Sue wasn't on this roster. And to your point about Roy Williams, he was on the roster but was traded on October 14th for three picks in the 2009 draft. So kudos to the Lions for getting a lot for, for a okay wide receiver. But but if Roy Williams, if, if, if we're talking about the final roster for the Lions, then Roy Williams would not be in the game. But but if, if we're saying that Roy Williams is in, involved in this, I, I think that that – that strengthens the case for the Lions beating the Browns. So I guess we should have established some golden rules before we delved into this very, very serious debate here. But uh, 
No, I, I, I agree with you. History has been kind to the Lions, and they did have some close games. I know the Browns had some close games too, but but the one that jumped out to me was the Indianapolis Colts. This is still with uh, uh, Peyton Manning, of course. Um, they only lost to them by ten points, and uh, you know they they were down uh, they were down twenty one to ten at halftime, and they lost thirty one twenty one. So, not not a bad performance on the road against the Indianapolis Colts. So. I don't know. I I, I agree about Bob. We're talking about the toilet bowl heel here, so I'm not gonna you know just sit here and say that it would be a definite. But at the same time, I feel better about the Detroit Lions than I do the Cleveland Browns, just because Calvin Johnson is the only player between these two combined rosters that was a pure stud at that point in their respective careers. That's not to say that some of these Browns guys might not develop into being pure studs, but they're not there yet. Calvin Johnson was there in 2008, and I, I just don't think the Browns would have an answer for him. Yeah, he he, he would rip the Browns to shed. Uh, no, no doubt about that. Lee Bodden was on this roster, uh, Cleveland Browns corner. He had six interceptions the year before and then was traded to the Lions for Sean Rogers. Do you remember that deal? <laughs> Wow, man, this is these are memories. Yeah. These are some memories. Sean Rogers was a beast at, at at that moment. Yes. Well, we we will only a debate that will live on uh, through, throughout the nation year after year. Who who would win? Uh, who will know? Uh, I do know that this Detroit Lions roster. Uh, after going to 0-16, that, that landed them the number one overall pick, and they were able to take young Matt Stafford out of Georgia, number one, and, and get their franchise quarterback. The Browns are in a similar situation, even better situation than the Lions with the number one overall pick, obviously, for, from their own own 0-16 record and the number four overall pick from the Houston Texans uh, in the Deshaun Watson draft day deal. Uh, of last year so Chris picks one and four picks 33 and 35 35 also coming from the Houston Texans and the Brock Osweiler deal that's four picks in the first 35 picks going to the Browns uh Chris do do the Browns need to spend one number one or number four on a quarterback I don't think they need to because I I am a believer in Deshaun Kaiser. Yeah, I mean you didn't just draft Deshaun Kaiser in the sixth round. He was a the 52nd overall pick. That is still a solid investment for a player. That's not something you just want to kick to the curb. I, I think regardless, Kaiser will be on this roster next year unless a team just blows them away with a trade, which I, I can't see how they would happen. So I think he's going to be on this roster next year, and I think you need to build up around him. And I think part of that means you need to go out and get a legitimate veteran quarterback for him to lean on and and maybe start for a year so he can just have a true redshirt rookie season, bury him on the depth chart, and let him learn and absorb some knowledge from a player who's been there before. I, I think that's the biggest thing the Brown missed from Josh McCown this last year was that that was a guy who was the, the consummate veteran. He was voted the team MVP for the New York Jets by the Jets players. That just shows you what kind of an infection he has on a locker room, a positive one, a positive infection. I know that's not the best word, but but he, he's just more more kind of infectious, I guess. Uh, so a very positive presence and, and certainly someone that Kaiser could have leaned on. 
I would like to see the Browns either trade number 33 or 35 to get a solid veteran like an Alex Smith or even a Phillip Rivers if he's available. Someone like that to come in here, hold down the fort, and bring Kaiser along because I don't want to give up on Deshaun Kaiser. And if you can draft two studs at number one and number four to support this team and, and build up the, the the ship around Kaiser and this veteran who who, who to be named later, I, I think that would be a, a better scenario than just dumping another resource on a quarterback who I don't think, while this quarterback class is deep, I don't think it has a clear-cut number one prospect. And and so I don't necessarily think the Browns need to draft a quarterback number one overall. I don't think the Browns need to. The Browns have to get a quarterback. That's not Deshaun Kaiser. I, I'm not down for a veteran placeholder. I know John Dorsey's close to Alex Smith. He made the deal to bring him over. Uh, from San Francisco to the Chiefs, and that worked out beautifully for the Chiefs. Smith might be uh, available via trader or, or free agency uh, this off season. So, uh, with that connection, Smith might come over. He, he's way too old, uh, and I, I just don't want him there uh, taking reps away from the future, which w- which would be in that case Deshaun Kaiser. Um, I want I want a, a blue blooded, legitimate quarterback. Uh, either through free agency or, or the number one overall pick or the number four pick. I, I, I leave it to Dorsey to make the determination who is the best quarterback. Is it Rosen? Is it Darnold? Is it Lamar Jackson? M- figure that out and, and get him no, no matter the cost. You, you can take him at number one. You can be strategic, trade down a little bit and take him at four. Uh, get the guy that you want. You have all the resources in the world to identify who you need and you need to get him. You have $100 million in cap space. Can you woo a guy like Kirk Cousins on a long-term deal uh, and just solve the quarterback position, solve it this offseason, and let's move on? I don't doubt that Deshaun Kaiser can develop into a prospect, but we're talking about two or three years down the road. The Browns need to develop now, and if they could get a quarterback that can contribute in 2018 – with the young guys that they already have in the system and the huge amount of draft picks that they're going to spend uh, in, in the 2018 draft, I mean, they could turn around from own 16 to a successful team in, in two years or less. If that's going to happen, it's not going to be with Deshaun Kaiser. Get your quarterback, do it at number one, or, or spend all the money in the world to get a legitimate quarterback uh, for the Browns in 2018 and in the years to come. Yeah, well, well, if you get Kurt Cousins on this team, I mean, Deshaun Kaiser is basically not going to be the guy of the future because Kurt Cousins isn't coming in here to hold the fork down for a year or two. You're basically throwing, kicking Deshaun Kaiser to the curb, basically. I mean, I don't think he'll be off the roster, but he's not going to be the guy ever. It's an interesting choice because, Bob, Bob, remember, a guy like Casey Keenum, Sam Bradford, Teddy Bridgewater are all hitting free agency. Tyrod Taylor might be available too. I mean, I don't think Casey Keenum or Tyrod Taylor would be bad fits for the Cleveland Browns. They're not long-term solutions, but but they can certainly play. Um, so I do think you can have your cake and eat it too. You can turn things around by signing a guy who is a veteran who can play, who can help you win now, but also get Kaiser ready for the next year or two to take over eventually. Kaiser's only 21 years old. He has a lot of room to grow into his potential. Um, 
I would not want to see Deshaun Kaiser simply discarded um, under any scenario. I, I want to see him buried on the depth chart so he can learn, so he doesn't have to take those punishing hits. Bob, he was sacked six times against the Steelers, and I know they were playing some starters, but they were resting a lot of them too, and that's just not good. Um, I think they need to build up the ship, get a veteran in there, and continue to developing develop Deshaun Kaiser. Yeah, I just I I'm tired of it. I, I you're you're punning it, punning the the Brown success, kicking the can down the road uh, for a couple of years until Kaiser's ready. You know, wouldn't it be so refreshing to to draft the next Cam Newton who who instantly just hits the ground running? What what if that's Lamar Jackson or, or Sam Darnold, and, and we pass on that opportunity to potentially get a, a quarterback that's ready to start? in three years and Deshaun Kaiser. And I know you would have a placeholder quarterback, veteran quarterback, but it would be so nice to just have that guy in 2018 and, and use all the other resources that you have to, to build around that. I, 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 I I'll respect what decision is made. Obviously quarterback is the number one need has been the number one need for 17 years for the Browns and will be the first position that that uh is planned around in, in this off season uh but f- for me i i just want i want something that is a little bit more guaranteed and, sh- and sure-footed and that's not Deshaun kaiser that's either one of these blue chip rookies that that are going to be taken at the top of the draft or that's one of the 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 studs that that might be hitting the open market in cousins or even tyrod taylor i'm a big fan of his yeah, there, there's definitely going to be options at quarterback between the, the free agency market and the draft. Look, Bob, I, I've said it before, this is a deep quarterback class, but I don't think there's a Cam Newton or Andrew Luck in this class. Those two guys, I'm like, when, when they were available, I'm like, they're going to be really good in this league. They, they were the two most sure prospects that I have you know, witnessed since the 2003 draft when it was Eli Manning, kind of Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger. And even then there were some questions about Big Ben and you know Philip Rivers and Eli Manning. Those three guys were all very good coming out of college, but I don't think they're as sure as Cam Newton was or Andrew Luck, at least in my opinion. Um, but yeah, it, it's going it, to... John Dorsey's going to have plenty of options. He's got a ton of draft picks. He's got two top four picks, so he can do it through the draft. He's got a ton of cap space, so he can do it in free agency. I think there will be two new quarterbacks brought onto this team, one in free agency and one through the draft. It's just a matter of whether or not he will do premium draft pick and sign a veteran, a lower-end veteran, or premium veteran and a lower-end draft pick to get another prospect in here to develop behind Deshaun Kaiser. But either way, I think there will be two new quarterbacks brought onto this team. I don't think Deshaun Kaiser will be cut because he's certainly shown enough potential to continue to develop him. I I, I, I think Kevin Hogan and Cody Kessler, I, I just don't think that they will be on this roster next year. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. Um, Got to figure it out. That's, I mean, if they don't figure it out, we're going to be talking about 0-16 Browns in three years again. I mean, it's... Uh, they need to figure out the quarterback obviously yeah most definitely they've they, and, and the good news is they got plenty of avenues to do so right and it's a good year to do so a lot of prospects a lot of guys potentially available so well we will be debating that ad nauseum as the draft 
uh, is five months away. Um, certainly there'll be some updates uh, uh, along the road and, and we'll keep you posted on that. But Chris, let's turn our attention to uh, s- some college football bowl games. Uh, we'll start with the Buckeyes easily beating the USC Trojans 24 to seven in the Cotton Bowl. Um, relatively low scoring for, for these two teams. Uh, Ohio, Ohio State was in clear command of this game from the start to the end, sacking Sam Darnold eight times, uh, not limiting him to zero touchdowns and an interception. Uh, Buckeyes just coasted r- really easily, and the Trojans were, were unable to do anything. Uh, Chris, what was your takeaway from this game? My takeaway is that Ohio State clearly was the best team to not make the playoffs, and uh, they emphatically uh, put a stamp on what was another solid season for them. Look, anytime you win 12 games, it was a successful season. I don't care what your expectations were. This is not easy to do. Uh, it, first off, you could have turned the game off at halftime and you wouldn't have missed anything because nothing happened after the first half. It started off like it was going to be high flying, 24-7, to and then there was no more scoring in the second half. So uh, uh, certainly certainly uh, not, not the most eventful second half in the world. But, Bob, what impressed me a lot was you, you said it, you know, eight sacks on Darnold. Darnold looked rattled under pressure. Not a good last impression going into the uh, – pre-draft evaluation of him not to say you should you know hang a kid for one bad game but certainly not the impression he wanted to make heading into the post into the offseason though he did throw for 356 yards um he also attempted 45 passes only completed 26 of them uh ronald jones the second was limited to 64 yards a long of 19 this is rushing uh this is one of the most explosive players in college football bob in the ohio state defense bottled him up nice uh, made USC one-dimensional held them to 57 total yards that includes a loss of 18 for Sam Darnold on 11 carries most of them coming on sacks so Bob Ohio State emphatically put a stamp on another impressive season for one of the most consistent programs in the nation and and just cemented the fact that they were truly deserving of being the team that almost made the college football playoff. Right. Which is fifth place. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, a dominating win for them. Uh, and it was all at the hands of the defense. I mean, Barrett and the run game did enough to to put up some points. Uh, but it, it was that. It, came, it started and ended with, with that defense. Sam Darnold known for being elusive and making plays happen by improvisation and just wasn't able to do any of that against the Buckeyes. So... Yeah, I mean, it, it put a stamp, uh, at, at a fine stamp at the end of their season. It was a, a, a very good season by, by any standards for, for the Buckeyes. And I would say that it's also a win that the Buckeyes needed uh, with the, the, the loss to Oklahoma and the loss to Clemson last bowl uh, in the playoff. Uh, the, the Buckeyes needed a, a strong win against a premium out-of-conference opponent like the Trojans. So I think it... it it righted the ship in, in that sense, and you know the Buckeyes will be right in the mix uh, for for a playoff berth uh, in, in the 2018 season. Almost definitely. I mean, regardless of what happened, even if the score was flipped, there's no doubt Ohio State would carry a preseason top 10 ranking. Uh, like it or not, it is the way it is, and Ohio State's been exceptionally consistent. It's not like they haven't earned it. Last 17 seasons, they've only really had one bad season. That was the year they were under the Luke Fickle and sanctions and all that. So point being, uh, Ohio State 
definitely entering next season with some momentum. Uh, it might make that preseason ranking closer to top five than top 10. Uh, given that they're losing JT Barrett, they probably won't be in the top three, but uh, certainly will be one of the teams to watch uh, come playoff time next year. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and Ohio State's success against USC uh, was emblematic of the Big Ten success in, in bowl season going uh, a NCAA leading seven and one uh, for, for the conference in, in bowl games. Only Michigan losing to South Carolina on New Year's Day, uh, their only loss. Uh, good wins against Washington State, a ranked team, a ranked USC, ranked Washington, and ranked Miami for, for the Big Ten. Uh, so, Chris, the Big Ten seven and one—that—that's the best uh, bowl game, bowl record uh, this season. Uh, does that mean anything to you? And spoiler alert: the SEC is going to finish five and six because we don't have to wait for the result of the national championship to calculate that record. So, um, yeah, no, nobody can catch them. Uh, the, the, this was a phenomenal bowl year for the Big Ten at seven and one. Uh, Michigan blowing that huge lead to South Carolina, the lone blemish on what would have been a perfect season. Uh, quite frankly, it's remarkable in the sense that the Big Ten generally struggles in these games. Half of the reason is the Big Ten doesn't really have a home neutral site. There are no big bowls played in the Midwest. They always have to travel. Uh, Wisconsin got to play Miami on a quote-unquote neutral site that was the Miami Hurricanes home stadium, and they beat them by 10 points. I thought that was their most impressive win, uh, beating Washington. Um, you know, a lot of very strong wins for the Big Ten in the bowl season. But I'm going to be consistent here, Bob. I've said this forever. The bowl season to me and this conference strength debate is more for the fans than it is for the pollsters and the people who are determining who the best teams are. I don't believe any of this will carry over into December when the committee decides the four best teams. What will are the 12 or 13 games hopefully 13 for Ohio State, that you will play that will establish your resume. The committee has shown over the last four years that it will pick the four best teams based on the year that they are playing in. Ohio State was not punished for getting blasted by LSU in Florida in the first playoff field. And the Big Ten wasn't punished for Michigan State getting blasted by Alabama a couple years back. Ohio State still qualified. I don't think that this will have tremendous meaning in December, but I do think it will help programs like Northwestern and Purdue, who both won bowl games, who are both looking for some respect, who might get some more votes in the top 25 than they may not than they than they would have otherwise. So I think it will help the middle and the bottom of the conference, but the blue bloods of Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Michigan State, who, by the way, did need to bounce back after a 3-9 and nine season the year before, those five were already going to be, if not in the top 20, receiving votes in the top 25 and had a chance to play their way into the playoffs. So I, I don't think that ultimately the 7-1 record is going to have any meeting when the committee sits down to decide the 2018 field. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it'll have any impact on on future decisions I, I i totally agree with that i think uh this will further debate uh you know this can be used as debate for for arguing that the big 10 is the best conference right now but i would say that to put all of the stock in the results of bull season uh would would be to look 
to not look and consider anything that happened in the regular season. And the fact is the Big Ten ended the regular season without a college football playoff invite. And, and the ACC, uh, 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 Big 12, and, and SEC got got those invites and are, were in the running for the national championship. I, I think to to not acknowledge that and only focus on the bowl games is a discredit to the regular season and the college football playoffs. So um, take it for what it is. It, it, it certainly is a feather in their cap that can be used in debate uh, regarding the, the best conference, but uh, other conferences did other impressive things. You know, look at the SEC to invitees to the playoff and, and they're playing for the national title against each other. So uh, how do you reconcile the Big Ten's non-playoff invite and the 7-1 record versus what Georgia and Alabama have done representing their conference. It's debate. I don't think it's going to have any impact in next year. It's going to be the four best teams, like you said, but uh, it's always interesting uh, debating that. You know, I think it's a little bit silly to say that You know, Iowa won by seven points against Boston College. That makes Ohio State a better team. Uh, I think that's a, a, a weird argument. Um, these are teams that exist in and of themselves uh, that happen to play uh, these conference schedules. I I, I think too much stock is put in the bowl game results and not enough stock is put in the the holistic view of an entire season of results for a single team. I agree with you 100%. I will say, though, if we're going to talk about the regular season, the Big Ten did finish with five teams in the top 21, three in the top 10. So even though they didn't crack the playoff rankings – the playoff field, uh, certainly an impressive regular season for the Big Ten as well. And, Bob, I think that if Alabama had lost to Clemson, if the score was reversed, there would be huge chatter about Ohio State getting that spot over Alabama. That did not happen, of course. But I think that if the Crimson Tide had lost their game because that was the team Ohio State was fighting with, this debate would be ratcheted up a little bit louder. But with Alabama beating Clemson handily in the semifinals, it did not open the door for that to take place. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, but um, it didn't happen. <laughs> so uh, that was a debate that, that got closed by Alabama's uh, dominating performance of, of Clemson. And let's go into the, those college playoff games, and we'll, we'll start with the, the more boring one, and that's that Alabama game. Uh, Alabama in, in solid control of that game from start to finish. Very, It, it reminded me of that OSU-USC game. I mean, Clemson was close uh, to close out the half, but Alabama's defense just took it over in the second half, and, and Clemson wasn't able to do anything. Uh, did you have a chance to watch that game? No, that one was on way too late yeah. for me, and uh, I, I, lo- I was looking at the score online. I'm like, you know what? I just don't want to watch it. Alabama's just doing its thing. Um, fortunately, the other one was not too late. That game was fantastic. Um, but, yeah, Alabama, it, certainly revenge was on their minds uh, for last year, and uh, very impressive for the Crimson Tide to reach the championship game for the third straight year. Yeah, six of nine uh, championship games they've now reached. Uh, so, very, very impressive for them. Yeah, and, and fortunately for everybody in the entire nation, uh, the Rose Bowl was, was the first game, and so everybody got to watch that 54-48 to 48, uh, double overtime victory for the Bulldogs. Uh, Chris, you know, my wife and I watched that from start to finish, and we're super excited start to finish. Um, was the best college football game I watched all, all, all season long, and, and you know, full disclosure, I got married in Athens. My wife is from Athens, but... Uh, I, I, from what I've seen and, and talk, people that I've talked to, uh, I'm not 
in the minority in that it was a fantastic game start to finish. No, you're definitely not in the minority. I mean, anytime you have a big moment and a big game like that, it's going to get some greatest games ever comments. And it certainly lived up to those uh, accolades. I mean, my gosh, man, it, it, it just one score after another. You thought in the first half that Oklahoma was just unstoppable. I mean, they were just seemed to be scoring at will. It seemed to be heading towards, oh, my gosh, Georgia's deer in the headlights. But then, then they flipped the script in the second half. That defense stepped up big time blocked field goal in in double overtime that really clinched it um fantastic game just a fantastic game overall and uh certainly uh big props to the georgia bulldogs for winning it and now bob they get to come home to atlanta where the sec championships play it's not like alabama hasn't had success in, in 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 atlanta either but not this particular stadium though georgia has had more success in this particular stadium than Alabama I'm standing by my pick to win it all Bob I think Georgia's gonna take it yeah I, I like it I, I I like that pick too um I, I think this is Nick Saban's worst nightmare his protege the the one coach that he took under his wing the most in Kirby Smart uh has basically an Alabama clone facing him in the national championship game we've seen Nick Saban over the past 10 years really antagonize his his coordinators you know Lane Kiffin is the the most obvious one that come to mind but uh, he, he really keeps them at bay and does not really foster that a close relationship Kirby Smart was the exception and now he's in his second year uh, has a chance to knock Alabama off as the top dog in the SEC so it's going to be a, a really interesting game uh, I hope it is as, as exciting as that Rose Bowl uh, Chris, I, I have two takeaways from the Rose Bowl. One, uh, I watched it start to finish, and I have to say, like, there was not a single moment that was decided by some controversial play or, or, or call. And I think I found that really refreshing that all the way through double overtime, there wasn't a pass interference that wasn't called or, or a flag that was thrown that shouldn't have been thrown. It was just two teams going at it and making plays. And, and I love that. Um, secondly, I've loved watching Baker Mayfield play uh, over the course of three years. I never really fully appreciated how annoying he is when until he has played against a team that I cheer for. And my goodness, he is probably uh, one of the most frustrating athletes that I've 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 cheered against. Uh, he was he was annoying the snot out of me throughout the entire game. So uh, my opinion of him has changed a little bit, but I mean he certainly played his heart out. Uh, and, and had a, a dominating first half, not so much the second half, but um, played played a fine game himself. Bob Baker Mayfield, I feel like he has the game of Russell Wilson with the attitude of Johnny Manziel. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I I uh, which way will he go in the NFL? Yeah, I don't know. To be continued. Honestly, I, I th- and it's not my dislike for him or anything, but I think it's more Johnny. Uh, I watched that game and I, I don't have the stats to back it up, but I would be hard pressed to, to, I would be surprised if he made more than two completions down the field of 15 yards or more. Uh, he, he, he did not throw a good deep ball during that game. A lot of his yards was picked up after the catch. Um, I don't know if that's just a one off or, or whatnot, but uh, it didn't look like he had a good deep game. Yeah, all this talk of him going top five is ridiculous. I don't think he will be a top ten draft pick. But that's talk for another yeah. day. The guy I want to talk about is Roquan Ro Smith, 
Bob, you've been preaching this guy forever. He was a beast in that game, and I would love to see him in a Cleveland Browns uniform. Yeah, he he was nasty. Uh, made uh, on that end around stop, he he just stopped that that wide receiver cold in his tracks. Uh, that that st- preventing a touchdown late in the game. Uh, he was all over the place as he has been all season, winning the butt kiss. Um, fantastic player. I, I would I would love for him to to be that number four pick for sure. One last thing before we transition from college football, I gotta say it. The University of Central Florida got robbed. They beat a team that just beat both teams playing for the national championship and got zero consideration for the college football playoff. It is time to start giving these teams in the group of five a little more respect because, Bob, they are now 3-1 and one in New Year's Six Bowl games against the Power Five. Very impressive yeah. win by UCF to beat Auburn disrespected the Black Knights all year long. I didn't. People did. They should have gotten more consideration for the playoff. It's it, Again, it's hard to argue against Alabama because they're Alabama yeah. and they won. But come on, man. They're, they're 13-0. They, they, they just beat Auburn, and it was not as close as the final would indicate. <sighs> it, just, it just annoys me that, that half of college football is excluded from this playoff. The beauty of March Madness are the Cinderellas. Let's get some more Cinderellas on this thing. If a team goes undefeated and wins a solid conference like the American or the Mountain West, they should have just as good of a claim or a shot to one of these four spots as some of these other teams. Well, let me just ask. I mean, I know you're advocating for for an expansion, but if if you were to put UCF in this year, who would you exclude from that 14 field? I'm going to say Alabama. They went 11 and one. They lost to Auburn. I get it. They're in the final. I get it. They beat Clemson. Congratulations. But UCF went undefeated, won their conference, beat the team that beat Alabama and Georgia. Yes, I would take Alabama out and put UCF in. I would give the under, only undefeated team in college football a chance at the title. And and I know it's too bad. Alabama might go on and win it. And, and I'm not saying they're not a very good team, but they lost. UCF won every game, and beat the team that beat Alabama. So don't tell me that they couldn't win in the four-team field. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think that would have to be the, the team that, they, that you swap for, but it's just crazy to think that there, there's a world where UCF would be in and Alabama would be out uh, after what Alabama did. I would did love that Clemson. world, by the way. <laughs> Open a porthole to that world because I want to be in that world. Well, uh, I, I think if you get on the dark web, you can find something that will take you there or something. I don't know. Maybe the Millennium Falcon. Can. Yeah. Well, one more college football game left, uh, and and we will be discussing that uh, in the future. Alabama versus Georgia. I uh, hope uh, we have good things to talk about <laughs> in that. But Chris, let, let's move on to some some good things with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, as we're recording this, Isaiah Thomas is is warming up to to take the court against the Portland Trailblazers. His 2017-2018 debut, his Cavaliers debut. How excited are you for IT uh, to hit the court? 
Super pumped, man. I, I really want to see this. I'm glad that he's back on schedule, and I'm glad that he's coming back against the Trailblazers and not the Celtics because I think that would be too much pressure to put on him to go back to Boston to play against his old team and Kyrie Irving and all that. I'm glad that they avoided that and used the second night of a back-to-back excuse to shield him from all that because I think that's just too much. First game back in Boston. You don't want to put that kind of stress on the guy. So I think the Cavs are handling it perfectly, even though they've lost the last three. Um, It is super refreshing to see Isaiah Thomas back. I would expect him to be limited. I would expect them to bring him along slowly and take a very cautious approach with him. But it's good to see that he is finally going to get onto the court. Yeah, absolutely. I'm stoked for this. It comes at a good time with the Cavs faltering a little bit, needing a, a shot in the arm. I think IT will give them that. Obviously, he's going to be on a, a, a very tight minutes uh, fix. But, Chris, the only point guard on this roster until IT came back tonight was Jose Calderon. So they, they could take any minutes that they can get at the point guard position. And IT, uh, one of the best in the business at playing point guard. So super exciting. Uh, yeah, he won't be playing against Boston because it's the second night of a back-to-back. Kind of a disappointment. I was hoping that IT would be back a little bit sooner so that he would be ready to go to Boston because uh, that would be some, some great theater, but uh, his health comes first. It's a meaningless regular season game. Uh, that being said, I just said it's a meaningless regular season game, but Chris, do you agree with that going into Boston on Wednesday night? Uh, do the Cavs have something to prove against them? No, they beat them in first game of the regular season when they were more discombobulated than they are now. Now, granted, Boston had to deal with a catastrophic injury to Gordon Hayward but point being they've already beaten the Celtics this game does not mean anything call me when these two teams play in the playoffs all it will do is serve to annoy me and other Cleveland fans for a little bit if Kyrie Irving has a big game and they win but other than that it doesn't mean anything until these two if they meet in the playoffs I personally would love it if they uh just rested their starters (laughs) against the Celtics (laughs) It's an ESPN game. I think the NBA has had some behind-the-scenes talks to teams to, to not rest their players on primetime, but I think that would be fantastic to just say, we don't care. <laughs> We're resting our guys. I would love it. That would be the ultimate troll move, but I, I don't think it's going to happen. They're going to play. Yeah. And then lastly, Chris, this isn't Cleveland-related because uh, we started with the Browns going 0-16, so that's obvious uh, they're not in the playoffs. But uh, NFL playoffs uh, set to start uh, this upcoming weekend with the wildcard games. Uh, we're not going to pick game by game, but Chris, AFC, NFC, uh, who, are you, who are you picking for uh, the Super Bowl? One thing I'm very glad is that the Baltimore Ravens will not be in the Super Bowl or the playoff field. Thank you, Andy Dalton, and congratulations to the Buffalo Bills for ending the longest playoff drought in the NFL. Hadn't made the playoffs since the Browns came back. Good job, Buffalo. Everyone on the podcast you know I cheer for the Patriots in addition to the Browns. I'm going Patriots for the AFC, and I'm going. I'm not getting off the Saints bandwagon. I think the New Orleans Saints will be their opponent However, if the Buffalo Bills upset the Patriots in the divisional round, because that's the way they'd have to go, they will be the team I throw all my support for, because even though the Patriots and Bills have a rivalry, I have nothing but love for our, our brethren in Buffalo. They have suffered just as long as Cleveland has. So if the Bills pull a big upset over Jacksonville and New England, I am all in on the Buffalo Bills. I don't think it's going to happen, but... 
kudos to the Buffalo Bills. But but to answer your question, I've got the Patriots and the Saints. Nice. Uh, I like both those teams. I think they, they are heavy favorites. The NFC is pretty wild, especially with the Eagles down Carson Wentz at the top of that conference. Um, I like the Rams, though. Uh, I think they have a very uh, dynamic defense, uh, offense that uh, is putting up gobs of points. Todd Gurley, potentially uh, an MVP, uh, a league MVP this year. So uh, I, I like them coming out of the NFC and what looks to be a wide open field. And the AFC, I, I pick them every year. Uh, and if they fail me this year, they are officially the Los Angeles Clippers of the NFL. But I, I think the Steelers are, are set to, to finally go back to the Super Bowl. I've said that year in, year out, but they're just too talented and they've gotten better defensively over the years uh, as I've picked them. Uh, I, I, I think this is their year. Three quick things. One, Todd Gurley would be my MVP, another Georgia guy, so I know you're all on that. Two, if the Rams win, which, I mean, they're facing the Falcons. I mean, that's one heck of a wild card matchup. That game in Minnesota will be phenomenal. Rams and Vikings, I'm very much looking forward to that matchup. And the Vikings could be the first team to host the Super Bowl and play in the Super Bowl, which would be kind of cool. And three, I'm calling the shot. Jacksonville is upsetting Pittsburgh in the divisional round, calling it two weeks early. Don't sleep on the Jaguars. I, I do like the, the, the Jags, especially that defense. And they took it to St- the Steelers uh, earlier in the season. Uh, but their offense uh, has kind of limped into the offseason or into the playoffs with, with Bortles and uh, Fournette being hurt. So um, if they can score points, if they can limit the Steelers' offense, then, yeah, they have a chance. I, I like that pick. Uh, but I'm not putting my money on Blake Bortles at this point. That's the risk of making a pick two weeks early, Bob. Anything can happen against Buffalo. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see what happens. Anyway, if Antonio Brown doesn't play, that's that's bad for the Steelers, but I think he'll be back. True. Anyway, we have jam-packed a ton into this podcast. That's what happens when you take Christmas week off. Thank you all for coming back for what is the beginning of our fourth season with you guys. Thank you so much for all your support. We really appreciate it. We enjoy bringing Cleveland Sports Talk to you. And, and we're going to be in for another fun year, another fun NFL playoffs. Unfortunately, the Browns won't be part of that fun, but hopefully they will someday. Please check us out on our website, FenleyRoadSports.com. You can listen to all our old episodes of Clee Talk. You can subscribe to us on iTunes by searching Fenley Road Sports. Click Clee Talk, hit subscribe. It's just that simple. Or you can click the icon in the upper right-hand corner of FenleyRoadSports.com. Uh, please come back next week for another episode of Click Talk presented by Fenley Road Sports. You can follow us on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram, uh, by searching for Fenley Road Sports. We appreciate your support. Hope you come back next week. And, of course, until then, go Cavs. Let's beat those Celtics. Even though it doesn't matter, it'll feel good to go up there <laughs> and beat them down. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Go Cavs. Yep, take it easy, Bob.